The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, it is Tuesday, June 30th, last day of June. And then we enter the holiday of the 4th of July. And before you know it, later next month, the Chiefs are scheduled right now to get together for the first day of NFL training camp. Yeah, like everything else, there's a lot of uncertainty about it, but uncertainty is now a way of life for everybody (laughs) in the NFL and uh, around the country. So I guess we better get used to it. What a time to be alive. Like you, you're born (laughs) and your parents sort of know everything. You could follow them. And now you, you know, you grow to be an adult and it seems like at least someone always has the answer. We're in a period of time right now where nobody knows anything, it seems like, at the highest levels of your job. So wherever you work or the NFL, who knows where this thing is going to go because just COVID is so wildly unpredictable. And even at the top levels of our country, I don't think people understand the direction. You have different states going in different ways. This is going to be such an unprecedented time. Doesn't matter your generation. I mean, you could be Gen X, a millennial, Gen Z. You'll never forget this time period between 2020 and whenever this thing you could say is officially over. And as people like to say, things quote unquote normalize. Yeah, it's going to be a ride. If we just knew which way it was going, it'd be a lot easier to, to get it in the saddle. But right now, I don't like don't. this roller coaster, John. I don't like it. I want to get off. <laughs> On today's show, we'll talk about your Kansas City Chiefs, Uh, of course. We'll update you on the latest with the training camp date, if it seems reasonable. The Chiefs are favored week one, and we have some statistics on how many fans think they will beat the Texans by 10 points. We got a Chris Jones update late last week, so we'll discuss that. It was the 37th anniversary of the death of Chiefs running back Joe Delaney, so we'll get some of John's thoughts. Cam Newton heads to the New England Patriots. We'll discuss that, and we'll play last man in, first man out when it comes to the Chiefs' defensive side of the football, talking about a 53-man cut. And we're just assuming a 53-man cut will happen. Who knows how this thing plays out? You're going to need more players with COVID, so this could be a different year unlike any other in the league's history. 
Before we start, I want to give you some clarity on the Arrowhead Pride Editor show. This is going to be the last show for about two weeks. We're going to take an extended break. I'm going to go on vacation. And then we'll be back in the middle of July on the 14th and the 16th, serving as a mid-month check-in. John will take that next week. And then we should be back the week of July 28th with a new training camp schedule for all your podcasts. Again, as we had mentioned in the past, this is a unique schedule in July because the month leading up to training camp is when the least news happens. And and that's when we get our breather so that we're ready to ride this thing out on the run it back tour, which you hope ends in Tampa in February. But let's get this party started and talk about that date. Right now, here's what we know. The NFL is continuing to push that July 28th will be the start date for most camps in the National Football League. The reason that we keep saying July 25th is that the Chiefs and Texans play three days earlier on Thursday night football. The news that emerged this week is the NFL is encouraging agents to run through all of this stuff with its players. The risks, there has been hinting of maybe potential opt-out clauses if a player doesn't want to risk contracting coronavirus. Who knows, maybe you could take the year off. That's interesting when it comes to a guy like Chris Jones, who may be in this contract battle. What does that mean, opt out? Could you opt out for the year? Does that include a year of your contract? Are you paid? So on and so forth. So we're going to have to figure out the details on that thing. What this tells me is that the league is really doing whatever it can to get this thing off the ground. The problem, as we mentioned at the beginning of this show, is it's just so unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen here. Even up to uh, a few weeks from now, it's difficult to to make right. any kind of prediction about what might happen, much less what might be happening in September or October, November, you know, months from now. Uh, it's very difficult to see what could be happening three weeks from now. And uh, that's going to make it very difficult for the NFL to proceed. As we sit right now, there are a number of states that have reinstated their restrictions. We got Florida, we got Texas, we got Arizona, we got California. Now, whether those changes and those restrictions would prevent a team from opening training camp as scheduled is unknown. But if they did, that accounts for about one quarter of NFL teams in those four states. Right. Even training camp is uncertain at this point in terms of its schedule just because of of these changes that have just occurred in the last few days. And it's worth noting that the NFL has been emphatic in saying that there needs to be a level playing field here. Mm-hmm. Some yep. states wouldn't allow coaches in their building, so that meant no coach in any state could go back into the building. Will they get a little bit looser with that because they need at least some teams in camp to get this thing rolling? Again, we don't know. Right mm-hmm. now, we are flying by the next news story and the next news story and the next news story. And they, I think they're trying to figure this thing out just like everybody else in the country and, and the world. And I think what you're going to potentially see here is much like we saw this past off season with the CBA and the battles and the going back and forth. There may be another CBA type back and forth between the NFL and the Players Association when it comes to the safety of this thing. 
J.C. Treder, who's the president of the Players Association when it comes to the players' side of it. He released a statement this morning that essentially, I can't read it for you because it's so long, but essentially was saying the players need to look out for themselves when it comes to what would be returning to work. Is it safe? You have to ask those questions. And that is up to you. That's going to be up to the player as to whether or not they want to participate this year. And that'll further complicate matters because the NFL could set dates and say, we're going to start and everything and all they want. But if the players have a voice and they're talking to each other and they say, I don't think this is really safe for Mm. our livelihood, that's going to be a real problem in getting this thing kickstarted. Well, and those conversations are ongoing now. I mean, the NFLPA and the NFL are have been in constant communication and negotiation over a lot of these issues ever since this thing started. They've been talking to each other and trying to work out these protocols about how things are going to go and how things they how things need to go. And they haven't come to any announced consensus about those. They keep talking to us, saying that these negotiations and conversations continue. But we have really seen very little in terms of an actual opening strategy from either the NFL or the NFLPA. They've given us a few clues, but we don't have the finished product yet. And part of that is because of all the uncertainty that's underway. They solve one problem and then another problem crops up. This is, it's insane. This year is an absolute nightmare for keep politics out of my sports guy because there are so many social issues that the players are going to care about once this league starts. And there's so many political and health concerns that go into how this year starts that the politics are are involved in it. The mask talk is involved in it. The social distancing is involved in it. And I I just think all these things are, are going to be a huge part of the NFL season and 2020. It really feels like it's going to be unlike any other for a myriad of reasons, and I, I think we need to, to gear up for that and, and be ready to have a lot of different type of discussions as this season gets underway, we hope. If the season... Sports, Pete. Yes, let me, <laughs> let me get back to sports. If the season... Right here. Right here. I'm going to do it for you. If the season is underway and gets started as planned, the Chiefs will play the Texans week one, and the odds are starting to roll in. We got the schedule, and on that first night, the Chiefs opened as 10-point favorites against the Texans. Some thought that might dip because it seemed a little too high. No, it's it's stayed so far. So the Chiefs, favored by 10 for those who aren't, aren't betting, means they essentially need to win by 10 points, really 11 if you're going to pay off the bet. They need to win by 11 points for the Chiefs bettors to win. Well, 88% of bettors have put their money on the Kansas City Chiefs We're a long ways away from that still, so that could change and fluctuate here and there. But that's how much confidence all of these NFL bettors have in the Chiefs. They are the best bet right now to win their week one game. I don't find that particularly surprising. You know, the Chiefs lost to the Texans in the regular season last year, but there were a lot of circumstances in that game that were less than ideal for the Chiefs. And when they met in the postseason, well, we know what happened. You know, the Texans may have run out to an early lead, but... The Chiefs basically slaughtered them from the second quarter on. So I don't find this particularly surprising, particularly in light of the fact that a lot of the moves the Texans have made in this offseason have been, shall we say, suspect, for lack of a better word. So I don't find this surprising at all. We're going to get to some Patrick Mahomes disrespect a little bit later when we talk about Cam Newton. But 
I think this is a little disrespectful to Deshaun Watson. Not to say that I think the Texans are going to win or maybe stay within 10, but I think it's enough of a question where it shouldn't be 88% of bettors that are laying the 10 points to Deshaun Watson. Maybe I'm higher on Watson than most, but it feels like I get what happened in the playoffs, but it feels like he should at least be able to keep this thing a game where more than 12% of the people would feel comfortable with Watson plus 10. But he's also got Bill O'Brien coaching. And I honestly, I I recognize that we might be disrespecting Deshaun Watson a little bit, but I've got enough problems right now without worrying about Deshaun Watson's (laughs) fragile ego. I'm sorry. For what it's (laughs) worth, Watson... He he does a good job. He he doesn't have yeah, yeah. he does he does not have a, a bad ego like some other quarterbacks in this league. I'm not going to get back on the last podcast train of trashing the Browns. So we're going to leave that one there, <laughs> right there. I am looking forward to this game. I hope it happens. I hope that we're able to be in the stadium for it. You know, you have your doubts. I know there's people that care about the banner going up when there's fans in the stadium. I don't see the Chiefs raising the banner without fans, but who am I to make? Again, that is another decision that is way higher than my my pay grade, but you hope this game happens. I think it's going to be a good one and a good sign, I guess, because mass thought tends to tends to favor the truth a lot of the time. 88% of bettors believe the Chiefs will win by 11 points. We got a Chris Jones update on Friday from NFL Network's James Palmer. This came late in the day. I'm told there hasn't been much traction at all toward a new contract between the Chiefs and Chris Jones. They do want him back long-term, but COVID played a big part with teams not knowing the cap in 2021. Some clarity from the league before July 15th could help. So that's a small update. This is the first time we heard that the Chiefs want him back long-term. They have said it, but this is through another means And mentioning COVID, that's the first time COVID has been mentioned along with the Chiefs and and Jones saga. (sighs) I say this a lot on, on the radio. Maybe I've said it on the podcast before. Information leaked to sources and the Chiefs saying things at press conferences just doesn't mean much. It's all about actions. And the actions that we've seen throughout the past few years are the that the Chiefs are not really interested in bringing Chris Jones back long-term. COVID in this particular situation feels a little convenient where they can say, no, it's because of the uncertainty of the cap. Now, you say COVID is impacting the Patrick Mahomes deal. I might believe it a little bit more because everything leading up to it has felt like, okay, they want to bring this guy, of course, back in the long term. Every sign is pointed to that, but there's this big obstacle. With Jones, it feels like an excuse. Nothing the Chiefs have done from a move standpoint has made you think they want to be committed to Jones long term. They could have done it last year and instead they brought someone from the outside, Frank Clark, and paid him that money. They, they could have just kept that pick and paid Jones and kept him long term. They had that option and they didn't do it. Now, I think James Palmer got this information from good sourcing. That's not what I'm saying. I just think we need to take this with a grand grain of salt. Well, I agree with that, but it's also the first time that something we've been speculating about for quite a long time here on this show and elsewhere 
that the uncertainty of the coronavirus and what effect it might have on next year's cap might be playing a role in these negotiations. Now, I agree that you have to pay more attention to deeds than words, but this is the first time we've had any indication from behind the scenes that the things we've been speculating about might actually be true. So you have to consider that part of it as well, that you know they might be speaking some truth here. I don't know that they are necessarily, but I think it's interesting that something that we've speculated for a while, that is that one of the sticking blocks in this negotiation is the uncertainty of the cap next season and the chief's place within it. Now we're getting some indication that that might in fact be the case. Of course, it's a anonymously sourced report. You can only give it that much credence to begin with. But uh, it is the first time we've had a report of this particular nature. I just think it's a player who's not Aaron Donald that wants Aaron Donald-like compensation. And the Chiefs haven't necessarily, from a money standpoint, valued the defensive tackle position in the past because you need to devote money to other positions that I think they value more. And it's not that they don't like Chris Jones. Mm -hmm. It's that they don't like him for that amount of money. And I just think ultimately you see this play out where the Chiefs get some kind of compensation back. Let's say this year does go off and he signs the deal and he plays really well this year. Maybe they tag him again and they do the D Ford again. And I just think that's how this thing ends. And from a team standpoint, we've talked about it before, so we don't have to go back into it. But you hope that Colin Saunders, Dirk Nottie, some of these tackles, some of these defensive linemen, maybe you get someone in the draft, can fill that need for you. Because Jones is a great player, but I think we can agree he is an Aaron Donald who is a, a generational type of, of player. I agree. And I also agree with you that the most likely outcome of this situation is that Jones signs the tag and plays at some point this season. Right. That, that's the, the most likely outcome with what we now know. And and I and I and I think the Chiefs do want to sign him. They just there's just a limit to how much they're willing to pay to do it. That's what it comes down to. And don't forget that that opt out for the year thing will be interesting with this Jones situation. Yeah. Because if you're Jones and, and you're still young and you could sit out a year and still make what you believe is a, a boatload of money, do you risk that health factor? You know, I, I think about Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays and that story that came out and he was a little brash with his comments, but essentially the message was you could get this thing and it could impact your lungs for the rest of your life. Do you make that risk when you haven't signed your big contract yet to all this guaranteed money? I think that could be another wrinkle that we got to pay attention to of this story as the weeks carry on here. So that's your news update. We're in the middle of the summer. There's not going to be a ton of new Chiefs news, but we covered everything that has taken place over the past few days. When we come back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, I want to hear John's comments on living through Joe Delaney and, and that tragedy. And then we're going to turn the page and, and discuss Cam Newton to the Patriots and what that means for the AFC. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. John, Monday was the anniversary of running back Joe Delaney's death. And this was one of the tragedies that has stuck with uh, the organization. We did get some new news when it comes to Delaney about a monument that's being put up where he passed away. He jumped in the water to save some children and, and wasn't able to swim and, and wasn't even able to save all the children. But it, it just a, a complete act of a, a hero and someone that is respected by the Chiefs. He wore number 37. Nobody has worn it since. Now, this happened in 1983. That's five years before I was born. I think it's different when you're able to, to live through something. So I was wondering what you remember about this and, and the impact on, on the area and the team. Well, you know, this was a period of time in my life that I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the Chiefs. And so uh, my perspective on it is somewhat limited, but I've read quite a bit about it, particularly in, in recent days. And, um, you know, it it is unlike a lot of stories that we hear about NFL players being selfless. This was truly an act of selflessness. We talk about selflessness in terms of how players act with their teammates on the field and how they negotiate their contracts and these kinds of things. But this transcends all of that. The legend of Joe Delaney has kind of grown a little bit over the years. I think a lot of people would tell you that this happened after his rookie year, but it didn't actually. It was after his second year in the league. A lot of people will tell you that he didn't know how to swim. Well, that's not exactly true. He knew how to swim. He just wasn't very good at it, and he knew it. And that doesn't change how selfless this act was, how heroic it was at all. It was an amazing story from all respects. Apparently, a player who was extraordinarily well thought of by his teammates. And that's the kind of thing a, a legend is made from in sports. And so we celebrate that life because it's a life that deserves to be celebrated. And I'm very happy that the people in Louisiana have uh, chosen to put this monument there at the pond where he died. It's, it's about time and it's beautiful. It's, 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 it's like Delaney himself. It's kind of, it's kind of modest, but it needs to be there. And I'm glad now that it is. As you wrote, John, in your piece, Ronald Reagan announced he would receive the President's Citizens Medal, Ring of Honor in 2004 for the Chiefs. And as we mentioned, no player has ever worn number 37. It, it seems like a no-brainer at this point that it should be retired. I know that is a precedent maybe the organization doesn't want to set because it, it typically only does that for Pro Football Hall of Famers. But Delaney's 37 hasn't been worn since. And... It might be time, like, you know, you put up this monument that you do retire it for good. Yeah, maybe. The Chiefs are kind of in a rough spot. They have retired 10 numbers, uh, 11 if you count Delaney. And that's a lot for a two-digit number system. You know, that's 10% of your jerseys that you can't use anymore. The Chiefs don't have more retired numbers than any other team in the league, but they're up near the top. I don't know the specific numbers, but I know the Chiefs are among the teams that have the most retired numbers. Right. And I think it's going to be difficult for them to retire anymore, and that may be playing into 
why they have not retired this number. They had the disadvantage of having a lot of success there in the end of the 60s, and players made the Hall of Fame, and it seems reasonable to retire the number of a player who's in the Hall of Fame, and then all of a sudden you've got eight guys on the team that are on the Hall of Fame, and those numbers are all gone now. And, you know, they've also retired some other numbers that wouldn't normally be retired. Mackley Hill, who died after his rookie season during an operation on his knee, tore a ligament in the game in 1965, I think it was, and died on the operating table. His number has been retired. And then there's also the case of Stone Johnson, uh, running back in 1963. This is interesting. I looked this up this morning. He uh, died as a result of a broken neck that he suffered in an exhibition game that was played against the Houston Oilers in 1963 in Wichita, Kansas. Wow. Uh, so it was not only an exhibition game, but it was an exhibition game that was played outside of Kansas City. He suffered a broken neck in the game, died a week later as a result of it. Apparently, only one of uh, one of just two fatal injuries suffered by NFL players. Now, that information may be a little out of date, but at the time the article I was reading was written, there had only been two players that had died directly as a result of injuries in NFL games both of them from the early years of the AFL, Stone Johnson being just one of them. And his number has been retired, although he is not in the ring of honor. So the Chiefs probably would like to retire Joe Delaney's number, but they may be in a position that they don't have many numbers left to retire. Right. There is the wrinkle that you could have defensive and offensive players wear the same number. On, on either side of the football. I know they do that in training camp, but I, I think the league is probably not wanting to go in that direction. You know, you could make Tyree kill 100 instead of 10 for speed and Madden. <laughs> That's another option. But you could make the case. I, I think it's interesting with Delaney. If they're not going to issue it anyway, I think you, you might as well do it. Your point, I think, is good, though, in the sense I know a lot of fans usually ask, well, why isn't Tony retired? Like, what about Jamal and, and DJ? And this, mm-hmm. this is why. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you have a 90-man camp. It'd be, it'd be different, I think, if it was only 53 players all the time. But you have mm-hmm. a 90-man camp. You need jerseys for certain guys or certain rules and certain looks that the NFL wants to stick with. And, and again, I think that's why you'd see certain guys not getting that honor and, and they want to save it for really, really special situations. But 37 years since Joe Delaney passed and uh, as John mentioned, he died a hero and, and now there'll be that monument there to remember him by. And, and so when people walk up to that pond, they could think about it and, and pay their respects in a sense. Pivoting a little bit hard on this one, but Cam Newton to the New England Patriots. This comes through over the weekend I do want to play some sound for you from, from Fox Sports, but John, when, when you saw this come through, Newton finally getting a job, and it's with one of the Chiefs, now AFC foes in the New England Patriots, what were your thoughts? Well, I think it depends a lot on how healthy he is. The only reason that he wasn't scooped up by another team before now is the uncertainty about his ability to play at this point which no team could have properly evaluate during this period when players are restricted from traveling to other cities in order to get physicals and have workouts with teams. 
I think in any other year, Cam Newton would have been signed a long time ago. We might be playing him with the Chargers this year or, you know, some other team. But because of the circumstances, again, (laughs) the unusual circumstances of this season, Cam Newton was left by the wayside for a long time and the Patriots have done something smart and signed him to a contract cheap enough that their risk is very small, but the upside could potentially be very large. I personally think that coaches tend to do what they know works for them. And let's not forget that the Patriots' success over the last 20 years began because Bill Belichick decided to take a chance on Tom Brady. Right. And he's going to want to trust his own judgment about that. And so I think it's going to be a lot harder for a player in his 10th NFL season to come in there and wow Bill Belichick into giving him the starter's job. I think it's a mistake to just assume Cam Newton is going to get that job because Belichick is probably thinking, yeah, I like this Stidham kid. He might be pretty good for us. I'm, I'm willing to take a flyer on him and see what happens. Now, six games into the season, if the Patriots are 0-6, yeah, Cam Newton's going to be out on the field. But if Belichick sees any kind of development in this young quarterback, it might be a lot harder for Cam to get on the field than we realize. Combined with the news that Newton was signed by the Patriots, nearly at the same time, the penalty came down for their filming last year. And that's an interesting wrinkle to the story because they get fined $1.1 million. Their TV crew is not allowed to film, whatever. NFL teams don't care about that. They lose the third round pick in 2021. If Cam plays well enough or he signs a lucrative deal in the offseason next year with another team, they probably get a third or fourth rounder back, depending on, on the contract. And to John's point, if he is a backup and maybe he starts one or two games and looks good and gets a deal, that's what you're looking at. And they get that, that compensation in a pick right back for 2022. And so that's interesting in it. I would disagree with you. I think he's going to start. I know what you're saying about Stidham. I think they were prepared to go in with Stidham. So they like him enough where if sure. he would have been the guy, I think that would have been their direction. And I think they would have played similar to the Broncos did with a... a waning Peyton Manning where they're going to win games defensively and by possession football and so on and so forth. But I, I think Cam is in there. If he is 100% healthy, which is a huge question mark, I think he, he will indeed be the starter. And you're starting to see the takes come out nationally. Emmanuel Acho, who just jumped from ESPN to Fox Sports, here's what he had to say on Monday. The Patriots with Cam are absolutely a threat to the Chiefs, but make no mistake about it. The Patriots were a threat to the Chiefs beforehand. Uh, I mean, let's think about, let's talk first before we get into the hot take noise. Let's just talk facts. The Patriots defense was one of the best defenses we have ever seen in the last 10, 20 years. Top 10 in every statistical category. Top five in every major statistical category. When you talk about defense, you talk about limiting points. That's what they do best. But now on the flip side, Mm. now you add in a game changer. Now you add in a playmaker. (laughs) Don't get me excited, man. I'm already on my Cam vibe. I might. I might. I'm sweating as it is. So absolutely. Cam Newton, think about how hard he is to prepare for. The Mm -hmm. job of the quarterback is to get the ball into playmaker's hands. Let me reiterate. The job of the quarterback is to get the ball into playmaker's hands. Peyton Manning, he did that phenomenally well. Tom Brady, when he had playmakers did that phenomenally well the best quarterbacks they don't actually make plays they get the ball into the playmakers hands but Mm. a team like a Patriots 
they are losing their playmakers. They have lost their playmakers. So if the job of the QB is to get the ball into the hands of the playmakers, what happens when the quarterback is the playmaker? And Cam Newton, because he is a playmaker, coupled with that Patriots defense, I do think they're a threat not only to the Ravens, not only to the Colts, but to the Chiefs as well. Kudos to Emmanuel. I mean, he's doing Speak for Yourself now. These shows and their producers promote really hard takes on opposite ends. His co-host took the opposite approach on this one. And what I'll say about Cam Newton is I, I think he can be impactful, but to think that he's going to be that 2015 MVP, I think might be a little bit of a stretch. We were just talking before we got on the air. I mean, he's 31 now. He's not just out of college. He can't take the same amount of hits that he once took basically being this constant runner of the football while pass. I mean, you're going to have to stay in the pocket a little bit more than he was early on in his career. I'm not saying he can never run, but if you're taking the Mm. same amount of hits that he was taking, there's no way he's going to be nearly as effective just because he's older now. He's not going to be able to take those hits and sustain a full game. And I think that's why we saw him ailed by injuries over the past two seasons, both with his foot and his shoulder. And I think there's a scenario where Cam is able to have this second story, this second part of of his career. But to say that instantly the Patriots are a threat to the Chiefs, I respect the Patriots. I look at their coaching staff. You have to respect what Bill Belichick was able to do with that defense where they were winning games last year. I really like Josh McDaniel. He's been looking for a mobile quarterback for a couple of years now to to unleash some of the things that maybe you saw with Andy Reid and he finally got Mahomes, he was able to push through some plays. And so I look at these two teams and I say, okay, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the Patriots beat the Chiefs two out of 10 times, which would equate to maybe, you know, four out of 20. But the Chiefs on most Sundays are going to win this matchup. And I, I look at Patrick Mahomes. How much tape do we need to see of Patrick Mahomes before we realize, okay, even no matter what, Cam Newton looks like at 100%. Mahomes is a a better quarterback and it might be by far. It might not even be close. And that's saying let's let's put Newton at whatever his ceiling might be. I mean if if he was somehow able to turn back the clock and be that 2015 version, I would still take Patrick Mahomes. And then you look at the weapons because as we mentioned, I don't think he's going to be able to take as many hits as he once did running the football 10, 15 times a game whatever it is. So you have to look at the weapons and the Patriots' best weapon is Julian Edelman who had more than 1000 yards last year. You have some of those running backs mixed in and then you have Mohamed Sanu and some of the younger receivers. You look at the Chiefs, the Chiefs probably have at least, at least three better options than Edelman in Hill, Kelsey, and Watkins. I'm not even mentioning Hardman. I'm not even mentioning Clyde or Damian. They could be in the conversation for being better options to have the football in their hands than Julian Edelman. To say that the Chiefs should be threatened by the Patriots, I think is, is an aberration. Now, do I think the Patriots are better than they were? Yes. Do they feel like one of the now seven teams that's going to make the playoffs? Yeah, they do. And anything can happen in the playoffs. But I'm not considering the Patriots a threat, at least yet. You have to look at this in terms of a spectrum. Is Cam Newton likely to be more mobile than Tom Brady was? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But that doesn't make him Lamar Jackson at this point in his career. He's not going to be running the ball the way he did in 2015. 
the way Lamar Jackson runs it now. He's not going to be that kind of threat. Father time is always undefeated in this league and in any other sporting endeavor. So this idea that he's instantly going to become this enormous threat the way Jackson is for the Ravens is just, to me, ludicrous. And you're stuck with the same problem that the Patriots had on offense right. last year was the lack of weapons, as you mentioned. So I, I agree with, with that part of it. And we disagree about you know, how likely it is that Newton will actually become the starter, especially early in the year, but I think that's a reasonable disagreement. I, I personally think Belichick feels comfortable with his own judgments about these things, and he sees Newton as insurance that is inexpensive, and that might bring him a third-round draft pick next year to replace the one he just lost. In that way, the move makes a lot of sense. Right. We'll see how this thing plays out. The good thing about the Chiefs and the Patriots is they play in week four, and the Patriots are upset about last year because you think about that one mishap in the game where the receiver steps out of bounds, and Andy Reid even admitted in this offseason that who knows how the game goes. Right. The Patriots are able to challenge that. The Chiefs only ended up winning that game by one score. And you fast forward, that was the difference in a buy and not a buy. And maybe history is completely different. So I think they're going to be hungry for that game, really in every game. I mean, you can make that case in every game now against the Chiefs. They're going to have a target on their back. And this is going to be no different. And especially in the sense that I think finally now the Patriots have moved on from Tom Brady or Tom Brady's moved on from the Patriots. They're going to want to set that tone in Kansas City. Man, like, as I'm talking here, you can hear it in my voice. You hope this season gets started because there are just so many different great storylines of yeah. this year, week in and week out, when it comes to being the defending Super Bowl champions. And week four is a question mark because we, we had talked about how the schedule is built and the uncertainty is so prevalent right now where if the, the season can't get started, we discussed this. Maybe they throw the first four games on the back four. It's built that way. And you could be looking at, and a lot of things have to happen, so keep that in mind, but you could be looking at this game being the final game of the season. And who knows what it would mean if the schedule falls that way. That's the season we're dealing with right now. We don't know when things are going to be, but we're going to roll uh, with the punches. When we come back, we're going to play the second half of Last Man In, First Man Out. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, wrapping up what will be our last show for a couple weeks here. But I want to get this in before we go, and that is last man in, first man out. John, we played this on the offensive side of the football last week. I thought that was really fun. So we're going to do the defensive side of the football and we're going to start with the defensive line. And I'll go first to start with the defensive line. And then John, you can go first with linebackers and then I'll do defensive backs first. We can discuss. Here's how I feel about the defensive line. The Chiefs kept 10 
defensive lineman at the 53-man roster deadline last year, which may make you think, okay, picking these guys would be obvious. You have 10 to work with. But it gets a little dicey at the end of the line, and I'll explain it, because you have Okafor, Jones, Nadi, Clark, Saunders, Pinnell, Passigno, and I don't think they're holding on to Tim Ward for as long as they did without him being there for, for this year. And then you have the rookie and Mike Dana. And so what that leaves is a final battle between Breland Speaks and what would be Taco Charlton. And it's which one of these guys would you go with? And based upon what I've seen, I'll take the guy that was at least a little productive and maybe has motivation from Frank Clark, his college teammate on this line. My, my last man in would be Taco, and my first man out would be the Chiefs saying goodbye to Breland Speaks, cutting their losses and giving up on a former second rounder. Well, I think they're likely to keep maybe eight on the defensive okay. line. That changes things significantly, yeah. as, you, yeah. as I just explained. Uh, I, I think that 10 might be a little high, but we could split the difference and say nine. I agree with you that Tim Ward is an unknown quantity that the Chiefs know more about than we do. They invested a season in him on the physically unable to perform list. And, and one thing I should not to cut you off, John, I just want to add this note. One thing I want to note is that defensive lineman Tim Ward and linebacker Darius Harris were there every practice last year. They right. were not participating. I was there. I saw them with my eyes. They had ball right. caps on. It just doesn't feel like these guys would be at every practice if the Chiefs didn't have big plans for them this year. And so that's why he was within mine. But I'll, I'll let you continue. Right. I agree with that. And we spoke uh, in our last episode a little bit about this uh, young defensive player they got from Michigan, uh, Mike Dana. He's a guy that they're very excited about. I think he's got a good chance of sticking on the team. So you get Jones, Clark, Naughty, Okafor, Saunders, Pinnell, I think they'll keep. I agree with you that Charlton is in there. So then that's when it becomes cloudy to me. There we got six players and we need two more. I think Speaks makes the team. I think Passignon makes the team. Then then what? It's a tough one. Then they've got a couple of extra guys, Wharton and Lawrence. I don't think either of those guys are going to make the roster because they've just got a lot of talented defensive linemen in there they want to keep. So that's how I would respond. And linemen go down, and that's I, and that was why I, I put more on, on my side, and they did right. keep 10 last year, and you're seeing the talent level. I just think the line is a little bit deeper than would be the linebacker position, and we're, we're about to go through that, and so maybe you get some extra room there. But what's interesting to me is even if you keep 10, you still end up with this showdown between Taco and Breland Speaks. And mm-hmm. yeah. It'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs give Speaks one more year after what I would consider, and there was really no focus on this, but a disaster 2019 for Speaks in the sense that he was out of shape. He was placed on injured reserve and then was suspended while on injured reserve. That, to me, is is not the year that you're looking to have. And so we'll see how it plays out for him in training camp. John, I'll let you start with linebacker. If, if you want to go in, into that. Yeah, I'm thinking that the Chiefs will... I'm not sure what number you're looking at, but I'm thinking the Chiefs are looking at seven linebackers, and they presently have nine on the roster. So most of these guys are going to be on the team. We got Wilson, Hitchens, Neiman, Harris, O'Daniel, Willie Gay Jr. 
Smith, Cobb, and Wright. Well, Cobb and Wright are gone. <laughs> I, I think I think those guys are just not going to be on the team. I think Dorian O'Daniel's going to make the team again. Willie Gay Jr. is obviously going to be there. Damone Harris, I think, is going to be there. I, I just don't think there's a lot of question marks about what's going to happen with the linebackers this year. They don't have a lot of extra ones. I think they're going to keep their seven and get rid of these extra guys they took on just to take a look at. Yeah, I think I think linebacker for me is six because, I, again, I'm keeping more defensive linemen. And so I think it's pretty straight up and straight down unless you maybe want to say, have we seen enough of Dorian O'Daniel? But what saved O'Daniel in my mind to me was the fact that Reggie Ragland is gone now. And mm-hmm. so I just don't know yeah. who you make the case for. Had Ragland still been here, maybe you say Dar- Darius Harris would would push O'Daniel out. I don't know. It, it feels like a, a thinner room than maybe we had thought at linebacker. And maybe that's why you saw the Chiefs go and, and get Willie Gay Jr. You mentioned Emmanuel Smith. This is a guy who was on the practice squad for the Chiefs. So has he learned enough and showed enough? during this period, the extra time to push for the roster. And you mentioned Brian Wright, who has experience on the defensive line in college as well. So this is a team that loves versatility on both sides of the football. So maybe that's a name to watch, but I, I would, I would agree with you. I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory at, at the linebacker position. All right. Defensive backs. Here's what I'll say, and, and then, John, you could, you could weigh in. Uh, the Chiefs last year kept four defensive backs and five safeties, so I think this could go in a lot of directions. Uh, but I, I might have it flipped this year. I, I think you're looking at Breland, Ward, Fenton, Hamilton, Sneed, Keys, and Brown as cornerbacks. That's obviously too many bodies that I just named. I think ultimately they, they go and keep six with Brown missing the team and Keys being up, but inactive, so they don't make him eligible on the practice squad. I don't think you're trading up for a guy back into the draft so that he could just get stolen on the practice squad. And the reason I have them keeping maybe an extra cornerback is because Breland is probably going to get suspended. So what that turns into is five cornerbacks and four safeties. And that's simple enough. Matthew Thornhill, Sorensen, Watts. I know Kent has highlighted cornerback Lavert Hill as interesting. I just think a lot of these guys in the defensive back room have this practice squad ceiling. So the end of the cornerback room, especially with Breland suspension, is is maybe sneaky good, but you try to figure out, okay, which of these guys is going to keep? Again, I mentioned after Breland, it's Ward, Fenton, Hamilton, Sneed, Keys, and Brown. But if you want to say, okay, what'll be my week one for the cornerbacks? It would be Ward, Fenton, Hamilton, Sneed, Keys is on the team, but he's going to be inactive as the Chiefs figure him out and then protect him from the practice squad. I think that's that's where I have this going. I uh, I like your argument about uh, Bo Pete. I think that they have invested enough in him that they're going to do their best to keep tabs on him, which means that no practice squad for him. I've got them down for 10. If I say eight defensive linemen and seven linebackers, then we've got 10 defensive backs. I think that we're going to see at corner Breland, uh, Ward, obviously. 
I think Andre Hamilton has an excellent chance to make this. Excuse me, Antonio Hamilton. I'm still getting these names squared <laughs> away in my head. Uh, Hamilton, I think, is is going to be in there, but he could end up being more of a special teams player, of course. But I've liked your takes that that he will be someone that gets more time at cornerback than maybe we would expect. And uh, Fenton. And then at uh, safety, you know, that's pretty obvious. Right. Uh, Thornhill, Matthew, Sorensen, Watts. And, uh, you know, maybe we got a wild card there in uh, Andrew Soro. It's fairly unusual for the team to come back to a guy after a year. But he showed pretty well in the alternative league. We can have an alternative facts. We can have an alternative league. They looked like they wanted to make a spot for him. So that's a guy I think we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's a good point. I think at the end there, I look at, at Breland and he probably goes to the suspension list, which makes this conversation a little bit easier to start. But then you have the question of when he gets back, who goes, but you'll have a couple games to look at and say, okay, who performed and who didn't. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting at the end there. I, I don't think Keyes is going to do enough to merit being on the active roster every week. And so I think it's a redshirt year if, if they do end up keeping him. And that means you maybe do keep six cornerbacks to start with Breland going to the suspension list. How does that impact the other positions? Because if you're keeping an extra defensive back, where does that come off? It may not be on the defensive side of the football. Maybe the Chiefs keep one less running back or offensive lineman could go in a lot of different ways as you're sure, roster building. Yeah. And, and that's when it comes down to the personnel room saying, we need to now evaluate. And that's where this, this comes in. This is probably harder to do than anything else. We need to now evaluate two guys at two different positions. What is more valuable to us? And sometimes weaker players can make the roster over stronger players because of position need and value. Yeah. And that that's the 51st and 52nd and 53rd players and that's where the personnel stuff gets very interesting even if we play under the existing cba we'll have two more spots on the practice squad this year the chiefs will have more flexibility to rotate guys in and off the practice squad than they have in the past all the teams will not just the chiefs of course and that could play into these roster decisions as well we don't know how teams are going to handle the changes in the practice squad rules, not only who can be on the practice squad, but how easy it is to take them on and off the roster. So that could play into these roster decisions more than we're accustomed to seeing. It'll be interesting to watch that. Yeah, that, that is probably something that I should have mentioned at the end of this exercise is... We may just be able to throw this completely out the window because of COVID. (laughs) This might have been a complete waste of time because... As you're seeing in other leagues like MLB, they're having a 60-man roster because they expect chunks of players to be out because of COVID positive and, and certain things like that. So you may see, instead of a 53-man roster, a 70-man roster with a 10 to 15-player practice squad. Maybe, I think it could go even as far as, we're just going to say no cuts this year, and you keep mm-hmm. 90 men, and that way... You really don't have to worry about filling a roster because there's going to be situations when on a Friday night or a Saturday, five, six guys are COVID positive or, or worse. We just, it's so unpredictable. I mean, you could see it go through an entire team. I think we've seen that in the women's soccer league with the Orlando team where I think it was, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 13 players that had it. If that happened in the NFL, you're going to need bodies. And so it's going to be a wild year is, 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 really, um, is really what it comes down to. And the uncertainty about it 
is, you know, again, more uncertainty is is fascinating. You know, they floated this idea, a trial balloon a few weeks ago, about 16 players on the practice squad instead of the 12 that are slated for this season, supposed to go up another couple of players in a couple of years. But now they're saying, well, what about 16 players? And in order for that to make sense, they're also going to have to make some relatively minor adjustments to the rules in the current CBA about how often you can bring players to and from the practice squad easily and how long they can be on the team when you do. But those are relatively minor changes that they could negotiate with the NFLPA for just this season that would allow them to have a 70, essentially a 70-man roster or, or a 53-man roster with, lot, with a large practice squad and a lot of flexibility in how they do it because they're going to need this. Uh, yeah. You know, this uh, th- th- this is a sport where guys grapple with each other and wrestle each other to the ground and all of these things. The possibility for becoming infected, perhaps not sick, but infected, where they need to be kept away from other players, isolated, is very real. And if the league's approach to this is if you have, if you're infected that you have to sit out, a roster could be decimated so easily. There's going to have to be a lot of room for flexibility in what teams can do in order to keep a team on the field every week. And what's most important in all of this, of course, is how is it going to infect my, my fantasy team? Is Yahoo <laughs> going to give us extra spots this year, alternates yeah. that can slide right in if they don't Let's suck. get with the important stuff here, the fantasy team. <laughs> Well, that'll do it for the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. The next time we'll talk to you guys is mid-July. So we hope that you have a great holiday and you're enjoying our our summer break here. We'll keep ArrowheadPride.com updated as we get news about when the season started, changes to the schedule, so on and so forth. So be sure to visit each and every day. You can catch John at Arrow Headphones. I'm at PG Sween. You can also mention us at Arrowhead Pride. Please rate and review us. Leave a five-star review. That'll do it for another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>